All right, well, let me pray for us before we get started and we'll, we'll begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time we can learn more about you, about your church. We pray that you would guide us as we study this concept of a Reformed church and that, it would, again, this would not be about our glory or about how we do things and it's the right way we, that, we would, that you would be glorified in the way that we worship and the way that we understand the scriptures that, that you would be glorified above all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, the book that I'm using and going through, just to, just to say, is called, let me pull it up here, uh, Welcome to a Reformed Church by Daniel Hyde. And I think it's a fairly simple little primer, not very long at all. Welcome to a Reformed Church by Daniel Hyde. And I think the purpose behind the book is for folks who may see the website or something like that, and we have Reformed Church in Murray, and they're like, okay, what does that mean? And so this would be a great thing to give to them or for us to read ourselves and, again, to kind of go through that. There are a lot of lot of pages written on Reformed doctrine and uh, whole shelves full of tomes, but this is a great little primer, and that's, so that's what we're going to go through. And so the first idea... I want to talk about is as a reformed church we are three things and we are these three things in this order we are a christian church we are a protestant church and then we are a reformed church and each of those things has a very particular meaning we're going to kind of work through them um one of the quotes in the book, it talked about C.S. Lewis, how he accused each era of history as having what he called chronological snobbery, which I thought was an interesting way of putting things. Thinking our own era to be the best and the most important and uh, kind of forgetting everything that's happened before us. And in the church in particular, that is the most dangerous thing we could ever do. And so turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 6. We're going to see some similar themes in this uh, text from Jeremiah uh, as we looked at in Isaiah chapter 2. Jeremiah is not a uh, altogether pleasant book in some regards either. It has to do with the judgment of Israel. And Jeremiah is oftentimes called the weeping prophet because he had a lot to cry about. And so this is a good example of that. Jeremiah chapter 6 starting... At verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words, and as for my law, they have rejected it. What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or sweet cane from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Therefore says the Lord, or therefore says the Lord, behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble, fathers and sons together. 
neighbor and friend shall perish. So, what is the Lord saying to Jerusalem? Stand by the road and look for ancient paths where the way is good. And what do they say they're going to do? We're not going to walk in them. He says, look, I've put a watchman before you and pay attention for the sound of the trumpet. And they said, we will not pay attention. Jerusalem would be destroyed because of their rebellion. Rather than listen to the Lord, they want to choose a new path instead of those old ancient paths because new is always the best. Does that ring a bell? It should read very familiar to us in our churches today. Churches are always doing this. They've always been doing this. This isn't a 21st century thing. It is a church thing. It is a people thing. And so we don't need to, again, isolate ourselves like Lewis said this chronological snobbery is if to think, well, this is a new problem in the church. No, it's not. Church has always been trying to come up with the new thing that is new and fresh and good rather than grabbing a hold of the old paths which we have right here before us in his word. And so staying linked to the past, the way I kind of think about it is you think of a a trailer being pulled by a vehicle and if that trailer comes loose and you're at any kind of rate of speed, what's going to happen? Chaos. Nothing good. Uh, becoming unhitched as that trailer is not a very good thing at all. And so we stay hitched up to the past, as it were. And so the first thing, we are a Christian. To say that we are a Christian links us back to the time of the apostles. We just got through going through the book of Acts, and so we should be fairly familiar with the beginnings of the church. And now, just to give a caveat, this isn't to say that we do church just like them or that we claim some sort of superiority like you see a lot of churches doing. We are an Acts church or we are a church just like the apostles. Okay, that's that's fine. Uh, but the apostles, the teaching of the apostles, the New Testament, and what did they teach from the Old Testament, links us to all other Christian churches. That is what makes us Christian, is the teaching of those apostles. The thing that links Christians together for all time is the Bible. The teachings of the Bible. The teachings of the Word. But I want to, want to say something, a caveat to this too, and we can discuss this if we need to. Um, there isn't a historic movement that had lots of problems that didn't say the same thing that didn't say well we believe the bible as well so when we examine the scriptures and we come to them and we think look at this this is something that's brand new then we have already branded ourselves as a heretic because there's nothing new in the scriptures how can we possibly know that well we look at what other people have said throughout history the way they have studied it, the things that they've come up come up with. And then we use the heresies to show how it can you can easily go off the path. Alright, so any any thoughts or questions before we kind of go through this? So again, we're talking about this base level that links us all together, the teaching of the apostles, the very the very center of the church, which is the word of God. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, we're gonna have a whole we're gonna have a whole week where we talk about that idea of sola scriptura, and uh, I'm just kind of 
Today we're kind of just, you know, briefing over it. Yeah, we're going to go through each of those solos and do that. I don't mean it's necessarily a lot to argue with people in this room. Yeah. But just that baseline fact is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you see the, you know, like you, we mentioned the Methodist Church. They had a 50 per, 56% vote to adhere to Scripture or not. And only 56% said, yes, we will hear, adhere to Scripture as a church. Crazy. Um, yeah, go ahead. I don't, I don't know if you were going to get to that or not. I might be jumping. But so we've got the solas, obviously, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about about reformed Christianity and that point. Yeah. But as far as just Christian, if you said Christian, Protestant, reformed, so as far as Christian, there's primary doctrines. Yeah. That really, you know, so those first four ecumenical councils, for example, like yeah, that's where we're getting. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, well, what's the very first one that we could think about? That's that starts with "I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth." The Apostles' Creed, right? Now, it's not called the Apostles' Creed because one of the apostles wrote it, but it has been used probably since the first century or a little bit after that. And what is its purpose? To say, this is what we believe. The church down the road from us here, the Catholic Church, they would see that document and say, yes, we believe those things too. And so this is a very broad brush that we're painting here when we say we are a Christian church. This is what the Bible says, those most plain doctrines like you said. You know, the doctrine of God and his character, the doctrine of the Trinity, the personhood and the the divinity of the Son, the personhood of the Holy Spirit, the Incarnation. The, the doctrine of the word, all these things that we say, these are the most basic truths of Scripture that we hold to. And so we're going to talk more about these ideas of creeds and confessions because that's a whole part of Reformed, uh, what is a Reformed church as well. But the Apostles' Creed is something that the church has had for literally almost since its beginning. And these are the things that we say, this is what makes us who we are. Um, another one, as Alex was kind of talking about these early church councils, another creed that is very important is called the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed was actually written in response to something. The response to this idea, there was an idea that came up in the early church by a man named Arius, who was a teacher. He had a fairly wide following. And what he said was this. He said that Jesus was actually the first of God's creation. And that he was created and then Jesus, or then the Father used Jesus to create all other things through him. And that he was divine, but not nearly as divine as the Father. Which is just straight heresy. Just not at all what the Bible teaches. And so, this first council, the Council of Nicaea, came together to stomp that out. You know, this was 325 A.D., so fourth century of the church. After most of the persecutions, the church was finally uh, able to think about doctrine rather than think about saving themselves from death, and that was a good time for the church. And they came together, and they began stomping this out. Now, what about that guy named Arius and his teaching? So, right, when Nicaea came, that all that went away, right? All those teachings about... Uh, you know, God, Jesus being created and 
uh, so that dealt with it once and for all. You know, someone's probably been to your door at some point in your life that had the same beliefs. Jehovah's Witness. They believe those exact same ideas. Jehovah's Witness is just a repackaging of Arianism. There's uh, very a lot of similarities. I mean, they have their own little distinctives, but some of their core doctrines are just straight Arianism. And they did something Arius didn't do. They just decided to rewrite some parts of Scripture in order to make it match with their doctrine, which is just quite audacious. I can't even imagine doing that. But what's the point? Jehovah's Witness has been around, what, less than 200 years? And the Nicene Creed's been around for, oh, all, you know, 1,800 years, 1,900 years. Um, the Creed doesn't stop that kind of crazy stuff from popping up. And so what do we need to do? We need to hold fast to those things that are true. And so things like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, they're good things. Sometimes you'll hear people say things like, no creed but Christ. And we don't need any of those documents. We have the Bible. So did Arius. So did the Jehovah's Witness. So did the Mormons. They have the Bible. And so we have to be careful. Why is it important to grab a hold of things like the Apostles' Creed, Nicene, Chalcedon, Athanasian Creed? There's all these other ones that we could talk about as well. Because this is what the church has always believed. And as soon as we find ourselves believing something different, we're no longer the church. And so we, sh- we have to be careful with that. Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is not optional as a Christian. Believing in the doctrine of the Trinity, these are not optional things. When, you, we, you know, when, when we were in Maryland, we had a couple come join us and they said, well, we need you guys to know one thing, we don't really believe in the Trinity. Repent and believe. You're not joining as Christians. We're calling out to you as unbelievers at this point. We, we don't separate on the doctrine of the Trinity. We do. Believers, unbelievers. This is not just a point of doctrine. This is a point of Christian, non-Christian. Any questions on that idea before we move on? I think it's, I mean, some people might say, well, it's kind of harsh. You know, we got to be careful. we got to respect other beliefs. No, not in this regard. We don't. These, aren't, these are points of plain truth that the Bible teaches. We're not going to separate. We're not going to be okay with those. Now, later we're going to talk about some things that, yeah, we kind of accept the differences there. Really, and even in the next step, kind of, in some ways we do. But we have to be careful with this one, right? So... The next thing, we are Protestant. And so the word Protestant comes from the German word protestatio, or a Latin word, probably a Latin root even. When this is basically what the, uh, so Luther was, you know, doing his thing there in Germany and the Reformation was in full swing. And these German princes who aligned themselves with Luther were basically signing these documents that were called a protestatio against the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, which wasn't a a safe thing to do. And so from then on, they started calling this group Protestants, which is a French word, a German word, concerning 
their convictions about the Roman Catholic Church. The, they were protesting the church's belief on some different issues. And so this idea of Protestantism goes all the way back to the Reformation. Now again, we would say it goes all the way back to what the apostles are teaching, but in particular, this point is where the divide happened with the Reformation, one of the most important events in all human history. And we separate then, in this fact, from the Roman Catholic Church, from the Eastern Church, which was before that, but still the same idea, because of these teachings. teachings. And ultimately, where does it go back to? It goes back to what we believe about the teaching of the Word of God. And again, it's always going to go back to that. Protestants see the Word as the only source of faith and practice. All Protestants do. The Eastern Church, the Roman Catholic Church, they have the Word of God. And it's featured very prominently in their services. The, the priest will, will open the Word and he will read from it. It's, it's probably read more in Catholic churches than it's read in most Protestant churches, sadly. And they uh, adore the Word and they care for it and they study it. But they bring their own traditions in. They bring their experiences in. They mix them up. They grant those things authority that they don't have. When, they, when there's a problem with a the doctrine, they say, well, this is what we've believed all the way since then when we said this was a thing. And you ask them to find it in Scripture, and they say, well, we don't need Scripture because we have our traditions, and those traditions have authority over us. And once that happens, we have to separate. We can no longer be aligned with them. Does that mean that there aren't Christians anymore? Not necessarily. There are men and women in the Catholic Church that believe in Jesus Christ. There are men and women in the Catholic Church that believe the basic truths about Scripture. There are men and women in the Protestant churches that do not. And so this is not a point where we depart from Christian, non-Christian, a lot of my Reformed brethren would say that I'm wrong in that point, but that's, they're wrong. Um, there are people who are believers in, that, in those churches, and so we're not talking about that. But then the, you're going to start to see some doctrines start to branch off from this, like the doctrine of justification, for instance. We believe and preach every single week that Jesus Christ saved us, not because of anything that we can do at all, but 100% what he did Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. The Roman Catholic Church brings in our works with that. The grace of Christ mixed with our works. And so we have to depart at that point. And again, we could teach an entire seminary course on this. I took one uh, on the Reformation, so we're not going into that much depth. But I do want to add this. We stand with our Baptist brothers and our Lutheran brothers and sisters and Pentecostal brothers and sisters on these points. This is where we are all aligned as Protestants. As long as they go back to the doctrines of the Reformation, those basic simple things that we're talking about, the Sola Scriptura, doctrine of justification, these simple things, then we align with them. This is not a point of contention with our other Protestant friends. So any questions there? On that, any thoughts? Okay, yeah, Tom. I was 
that's fine. Yeah, I'm sure that Mr. Hyde here, Reverend Hyde, uh, was a student of Sproul, like all of us are. Um, so yeah, the, um, yeah, that book's a good one too. What is Reformed Theology? He he spends a lot more time on doctrine. We're going to spend time on doctrine, but we're going to go distinctives as well. So um, good one. So is that point number two? Yeah, we're Protestant. So Protestant. Yeah, and so right now. You know, even like uh, the Wesley brothers and and all of those the Methodists. This is something that we agree on, and and what we're starting to see. And I think I should point this out in a lot of the Protestant world and evangelical world, which is that term has also been used a lot, is really a return to the Roman doctrines. We're no longer relying on Scripture, but we're relying on Scripture and our tradition, and our traditions begin to mix in with what we believe. And a lot of doctrines, you know, and I don't want to get into too much with this, but a lot of the doctrines concerning the sovereignty of God and the will of man have nothing to do with anything that can be found in the Bible. It has to do with tradition. It has to do with what people have believed for years. Why do you believe it? Well, I don't know, but that's just what we believe. You know, I, have, I hear that from students probably 15 times a year. They, they inevitably, 10 kids a year will ask me about predestination. And I say, well, what do you believe? And this is what we believe. And I'll read Ephesians 1. And they say, well, that's not what I believe. And I say, well, that's Ephesians 1. Well, that's just not what our church teaches, is what they'll say. But that's Ephesians. That's, and they're, they're hanging on to their traditions. And so, yeah, go ahead. And the, the same, uh, I think I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. The same issue that was going on during that medieval period into the modern period was the same issue that we have today, which is, and this is why it's Protestants, it's, it is so important that we remember Sola Scriptura because even elders can, if it's possible, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even elders can be wrong at times. Yep. Members of the church can be wrong at times, and so the word of God is different. That we need to be in the word of God mm-hmm. because they didn't have it in the vernacular during Martin Luther's period, and so it was easy to manipulate. Yep. Even a lot of the priests didn't, didn't know Greek and Latin. And now we're, we're, so, we're so desensitized to the Word of God. It's just there. It's mm-hmm. sitting on someone's mantle, but no one's reading it. Yep. And so people just aren't. I mean, the amount of Christian, self-professing Christians I meet that tell me, well, yeah, I know I'm a Christian. I just, I, read, I heard the Bible so much wrong, but I know I don't. I literally heard my, a free will Baptist friend of mine tell me this. Like, oh, I just read so much to me as a kid. I, I know I don't need to read it. And then he turned around and wanted to argue about Ephesians 1. And I go, well, maybe you need to read it first, and then let's do that. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's open this up, because you, need, you constantly need to be in, you know, immersed in it. Uh, it needs to be grafted into your heart. So, so I, mean, I think that's why a lot of, there is that shift back to Rome. It, Absolutely. We're right back full circle where Martin Luther was. It's almost yep. more aggravating. <laughs> it is. Well, it's what, what was going on in the Catholic Church at the time. The only people who were allowed to read the Word were the, the educated, were the clergy. What's going on in the Protestant church today? The only people that want to do it are the clergy. And even some of them are, you know, I don't even know what they're thinking. I don't know where they were trained because they have no knowledge of basics. And so, and I think it goes for the, yeah, I mean, they're, they're have winning smiles, but, um, yeah. Maybe if I could just get that winning smile from them, I could have the full package. But I think it. I think it goes for you know, and I think it's important for the kids to hear this too. You know, the kids hear the Bible in our homes, 
But you never want to get to the point where you're thinking, like what Alex said, well, I've heard that growing up. I don't really need to hear any more. Absolutely you do. You need to be a student of the Word just like I am. You know, you may not want to go to seminary and, and do that, and that's fine. Only some people do that, and that's okay. But you should be a student of it. You should be able to say, Chipman, I think that's not good. You know, and I should be able to hear that. Because if I'm the only student of the Word, then you know what I can do? I can do just about whatever I want. Thankfully, we have safeguards against that in the Presbyterian Church that, you know, they wouldn't, there'd be people down here and they would deal. So, and that's good. But you guys should be that, the first stop. You know, and, I, and I, that's part of being a apostle. Everybody has the word. You know, people died to put it in the English language. And we should, we should respect that. And so, lastly, we are reformed. And so, um, one of you know several points over the years following the reformation and even during the reformation started to come up the lutherans for instance separated from the calvinists and and i'm using calvinist in the truest sense of the word actual people who were following john calvin and people who were following the person who was alive at the time martin luther they they separated because luther and calvin couldn't get along on something like the sacraments. And so their people separated, and they couldn't get along on the distinctions between the law and the gospel. And so the Lutherans kind of went one way, and the Reformed went another way, Calvinists and other. Much later, and, and throughout the last, you know, even the last 200 years, we've seen several groups start to split off from that Reformed tradition. And for various reasons, we just talked about one, views on the sovereignty of God and the, and the, uh, the, the uh, autonomy of man. Um, continuation of spiritual gifts, that's where, our, where we depart from our Pentecostal brethren. Um, Methodism, we depart from them on several things. But, um, you know, John and Charles Wesley were very intelligent, very learned men. But we disagree with them on a lot of these points of doctrine. And so what you have left is what we still call reform. Now, there are Baptists that are reformed. There are Presbyterians that are reformed. There are Anglicans that are reformed, and they all have their own little historical tracks, and it's great stuff to read. I encourage you to do that. And so how do we say, okay, this is all something that we can agree on and we call ourselves reformed? Well, there are three documents. We're going to spend more time talking about these in the future. But they're called the three forms of unity. And these are doctrines that me as a Presbyterian and my Reformed Baptist friends can say, yes, we agree on these things. They're the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, which we've gone through as a church here, and the Canons of Dort. And it's behind these confessions that we all gather together. And what is the purpose of these confessions? The purpose of these confessions was to say this is what the Word teaches and again, so next week we're going to talk about this idea of confessionalism. But what does a reformed person say? What are we being reformed by? The Word of God. The Word of God is, is taking us, you know, that, that Romans 12, 2, be not transformed or be not conformed by the world, but be transformed or reformed by the renewing of your mind. And that through the word of God. And so when we call ourselves reformed, 
we wholeheartedly are sticking to the word of God. And we have points of disagreement with our Baptist, Reformed Baptist brothers and our Anglican brothers. And that's fine. But these are all things that we can come together on as Reformed people. And that's basically where we're going to be talking about for the rest of our time. We'll get into some Presbyterian distinctives. But more importantly, I want us to get into those distinctives. This is what makes us Reformed. This is why we look different than FBC. And I love the people in that church. This is why we look different than a lot of churches in town because this is this is who we are. This is how we do things. Any questions? Concerns? So next week, oh, go ahead, Andy. You have something. Say most people in here probably won't um, won't have necessarily had the, um, the story like I did, where I was in uh, I was in the Methodist and Baptist churches and, and Float Church of Christ and all these places. And I reformed. I didn't know it. But when you would discuss those things, uh, and I say those things mean just really your view of Scripture and salvation and the preeminence of the Word, uh, I was I was told that. I was actually told at a free will Baptist church, which is actually a denomination of Baptist, that I was that I was that. And I was like, I'm a what? Yeah. And they said, well, you know, you should have told us that you were a Calvinist and reformed, and I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. I really didn't. I mean, I knew some history, like, oh, but I had no idea what, why they would call me that. And and so what, what it is is this is such a – I, I just want to say this, like, what defines it is so, is so big, it's very uniting. I think lots of people see denominations as very divisive. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's totally accurate, but they they tend to emphasize the things that divide them, right? right? And it seems to me like Reformed churches, and I, I hope it'll be revealed as we study this, are not like that. Mm-hmm. They know what they are, and they don't have to be too pushy about any of it. And um, it seems like it unites so like together for the gospel is a good example. Of the things that bring so many people together who have some differences, but they don't overemphasize their differences. Yeah. Except for a couple guys on that. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's important, especially as we see uh, Christianity become more and more in focus as being at odds with the way that most of the world thinks, which it is, it should be. Um, It's going to be more and more important for us to grouped together with like-minded people and not, you know, it's kind of like what was going on in the early church. Uh, At Nicaea, they came together for a common cause. They weren't quibbling over little things. These were big things they were quibbling over. Um, And so we we should come together under those banners as well. Absolutely. And it's it's actually in other denominations too at times. So, Mm -hmm. Like I had a family member that was upset with me years ago because I had presented that God was sovereign and that man needs to pray and that it's a miracle to get saved. No, it's not. It's a choice. Anybody can do it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, anybody wouldn't do it because they're afraid. So we had a, a little argument. I was like, no. I mean, look at this in Scripture. And uh, so I said, hey, you know, they asked me, I said, well, I, I, I think that's crazy, but I, I'd like to read more about it. And I said, here's a list of books. Some scripture you could look at. I mean, yeah, go get some stuff. Mm-hmm. No, and then says, no way. I think you're totally wrong. Five years later, 
Andy, have you ever heard of John Piper? He reminds me a whole lot of you. That's uh, remember that list I wrote down? <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. And I like that. But they discovered that in a church that's non-denominational and not reformed. And it just like opened their eyes. So Yeah. It's the Lord that does that. It's not just what church you go to. God is reforming people right now out of all those other ones. Absolutely. And so I think that's a good point. The Lord is who opens our eyes. And so, um, you know, pray for everyone to have as we go through this and even as we read our Bibles and as we do our own worship that we would be more and more reformed. That's the whole idea. I'm not finished. I'm reforming. I'm always reforming. I'm always being changed because I see myself as such a sinner who needs reformation. And so we're just, the Protestant Reformation wasn't a one and done thing. It was an always happening thing. If it's not, then we go back to our traditions, which tend to stay the same. And so. Last thing I yeah. have to share go ahead. that will help, help this class go forward is that lots of people who are reformed are, on, are reformed on purpose. Yeah. Okay? They come from all different backgrounds Church of Christ, Methodist, Baptist, anywhere else. That now, no matter what they still are, they can be reformed Methodists. They think of themselves as being reformed. That they understand the man that man-centered theology is bad, and they're tired of it. Mm-hmm. And so, because a lot of them come through that on, with a purpose, when we talk about other people who are not reformed, they are still brothers and sisters in Christ if they love Jesus. And and, and beyond, honestly, lots of them have not thought about these things. So, so we don't need to put them down like, you know what, I can't believe they just reject the idea that man is de- desperately wicked and sinful. They've never been in a Sunday school class where it was taught. Right. They haven't. Mm-hmm. I, I preached in a Methodist church. It's the biggest revival they've ever had. I just got up and preached the Reformed faith. And people were responding. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm saying, you guys need Jesus. And uh, just preach the gospel. Yep. It wasn't. It, it was not a good message. God is good, right? But it was like so eye-opening because I quoted about as many scriptures as you do in half the sermon. You see, so don't think about those other people and think down on them. Don't. Right. Yeah. How yeah. are they going to know without a teacher? Yeah, it's the Lord that ultimately brings us yeah. to that point in our faith, and that's and good. He uses the word, and he uses the gospel. And he uses brothers in Christ to do it. It's not like they went to school and made their decision to, oh, you know what? I don't think God is sorry. No, they didn't. They didn't even think about it. They learned more from Oprah than they did at Sunday school. I know that. I'm one of those kids, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I, I get around the message of the gospel and it blew my mind. And I thought, have I ever heard anything before? So I'm just telling you that love those people recognize their need and when we're talking about this it's not oh it's us and then them right no. that's good I was one of them and I still could be right that meant for some people God used in my life anything else any other questions or comments alright let me pray for us and I'll play I'll, I'll pray to bless our food as well let's pray Heavenly Father, as we come before you again, we are asking that you would help us in our 
need to stick to the ancient paths, as we read, that we would continue to hold high your word that is unchanging, that is as ancient as all time, because it is yours. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us more and more from your word, that we would constantly be reformed according to your word, after the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.